Thank you. I'm not going to waste too much time. I'd like to welcome you, welcome you all to the Freelance Forum. This is an annual event. It's organised by Dublin Freelance NUJ branch for the Irish Executive Council. Jerry Curran, who's with us here chairing the first session, is the Cahirlia uh, of the uh, IEC. And uh, we're also pleased to have here talking about copyright and how it impacts on freelancers. Uh, Barry McCall. Barry's been a long-time freelance journalist, do some PR work as well. And this year, he's the president of the NUJ. So I'm not going to say any more. I'd like to get on with it. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. As I'm Jerry Curran. I'm the Coherlick of the NUJ in Ireland. Um, I also work in the court service as the spokesman or the media relations advisor. And I, did, I see some of you around who have often emailed me and uh, phoned me or whatever. Um, I think that the freelance branch deserves a a huge thank you for organising this, not just this year, but every year. I think it's a very valuable, if not invaluable, resource for people to come together and have these sorts of sessions. And it's something that was overlooked, I think, in the union for a long, long time. And I think particularly Gerard Cunningham there is, uh, is uh, the backbone of the organisation of this event. And uh, if I've insulted all the other people who helped organise it, tough. <laughs> uh, because I just think Gerard uh, is a standout um, contribution there. For my part, my role this morning is very simple, to welcome you the chairman of the NUJ here, to welcome Barry as the president of the NUJ internationally. Uh, we might describe, he, he's the Darth Vader to my Luke Skywalker, I think. <laughs> 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 um, and just, and not to say too much, except to say when I was uh, entering journalism, freelance was this exotic term that we didn't know what it was. We thought it was people who didn't have a job, was the, um, the prejudice at the time. Or it was young people starting out, or it was people who had had their glorious career, had their mortgage paid off, had a bit of empty nest syndrome going on and had the joy of being able to do bits of work. And then there was the odd other person describing themselves as a freelance because they couldn't fit in in the newsroom. So that was the prejudice at the time uh, of, of, uh, of what people had. Possibly only I prejudice, but that was the view I had at the time. Stupid view. The reality is everyone entering the profession or trade of journalism in all of its, in all of its uh, manifestations are freelancers and will remain freelancers. The idea of a career job for life in journalism is gone. Indeed, in many other sectors it's gone, but everybody will be a sole operator um, or a freelancer in reality. You may do a bit of radio this week, you may do a bit of PR next week, you may do uh, copywriting for editorial stuff the week after that, you may work in a newsroom for a few weeks, whatever. Everyone's a freelancer, in effect. Um, whether that's good or that's bad, it's the reality. And that reality throws upon you and all of us as individuals a responsibility to self-start, to self-manage, to find opportunities, to make the most of those opportunities. And those of you who've heard me before speaking in your colleges or you came and seen me in the courts will know that I am outrageously of the idea that you need to get out of bed early if you want to, if, if you want to work as a freelancer. I always ask the question to college, who read the Irish Times or the Irish Independent or the Examiner this morning? It's half past ten now. If I ask for a show of hands now and I won't, uh, there'll be plenty of you haven't. If I ask to listen to Morning Ireland attentively and took notes about what might be a story for them later on, or follow up in a couple of weeks or a couple of months, we might embarrass ourselves. I think a lot of it is about self-starting, but mostly about self-managing. And when I looked at the agenda today, there's a good bit of stuff on that, right down to doing your taxes, assuming you've earned money, but right down to, to, do, to doing taxes. You'd be surprised the amount of journalists who, after three or four years, would come and say, I didn't know I had to file tax returns. Or they're after me for a lump sum, how can I prove I didn't earn that? 
you need to keep a good record. You need to get a cheap but efficient um, accountant if you can. Or if you're going to do it yourself, there are, there are clever ways of doing it. And there are apps you can get from the revenue people for your phone uh, that help you keep a track of all that sort of thing. The topic in question this morning of copyright, you're in the wonderful position to have someone chairing um, this morning, me, who knows nothing about copyright. So that's very good for Barry, because there's nothing worse than the chairman thinking they know more than the speaker, and trying to get in before them with their ideas and to really steal their script, or interrupt them saying, well, I have my own thoughts on this are. Despite the fact I've worked in law for many years, and I've worked as a journalist for many years, I know nothing about copyright, and never claimed to. So that's one of the reasons why I was delighted to be asked this morning, I might learn something. And I think the second thing I've always realised is everyone has an opinion on copyright, but very few people know much about it, or what they did know about it is out of date. Because as you all know, as the world has moved on in terms of technology and instant access to other people's work and everybody plagiarising everybody's stuff and aggregate news sites and the derivative stuff being done, it's just a quagmire out there of misunderstanding. Which is why I think it's important that we have Barry this morning speaking to us. Not only is he the, the president of the National Union of Journalists, but more importantly, I've always described him as Barry McCall Inc. Incorporated because, or Inc. even in the, the terms of press, because there is very little area of work Barry has not been involved in over the years in terms of carving out a career and a livelihood for himself. And I think his experience and his calmness in relation to issues of copyright and ownership and intellectual property rights and that is something that we're all going to uh, benefit from this morning. So I'll, I'll introduce you to Barry McCall. I think, I've been, I think I've been oversold there somewhat. Uh, okay, uh, first of all, good morning. Uh, it's great to see so many uh, faces here that I don't know. I see several old friends, but it's great to see an awful lot of faces uh, who, which I don't recognise. That makes days like today particularly valuable. Uh, the, the title of uh, this session is A Practical Guide to Copyright, and that's what I'm going to stick to. I'm going to stick to the practical issues. Uh, the rights and wrongs of the, the European creators' rights-based model versus the unfair theft that represented by the, the US uh, alleged fair use model and so on. I don't think that should, uh, that should concern us here because what we're talking about is the practicalities as uh, they affect uh, each one of us here as individual freelancers. Uh, I'll start with one of those useless uh, but interesting facts to nerds and geeks like me, which is that uh, supposedly Ireland gave copyright to the world. Those of you who will uh, have studied your history like me under the Christian Brothers and had it beaten into you will be aware of a guy called St. Colum Kill, uh, who, who later became known as St. Columba and who was exiled from Ireland. Well, his crime that warranted the exile was actually he, he copied a book without permission. This is in the seventh century in, in Derry. And uh, his, um, uh, there was an ecclesiastical court held to decide what should happen to this man as a, as a result of copying the book. And the, uh, the, the court found, uh, in the court finding, and it's still in the, the canon law somewhere, to every cow its calf, to every book its copy. And that's where we get copyright from. And that's where all copyright law stems to this day. It was an ecclesiastical court decision back then. I'm not actually sure whether St. Colum Kill... <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, 
I'm not actually quite sure whether Colm Kill argued that the creator wasn't the person who actually had done the illuminated manuscript of the, the book that he had copied or whether it was from some other divine source and they're not therefore not actually subject to temporal law but that they never wrote that one down but what we do know is that today we have creators rights and those rights are actually quite simple no one is allowed to use your work without paying for it it's really as simple as that it's a subject for a different occasion if you get on to moral rights whereby should they require permission to use your work without paying for it is a different thing but we'll just stick with the money that idea of second use and paying for it and so on that only applies to freelancers it's perhaps the only area uh, of the law that is superior for us than it is uh, for staffers because an employee whatever they do whatever they create on their employer's time is regarded as belonging to the employer. For us, we are freelancers. What we do belongs to us. Our intellectual copyright is our own. And unless we choose to sell that, uh, it can't be taken away from us. But what does this mean in practice for most of us, this idea that people have to pay us uh, for a second use of uh, <laughs> what we've done? Sadly, for most of us, not very much. 90% uh, of freelancers are writers. What we do is we report on the news, we report on events that are, are, have just happened or happened a little while back or we report on a general situation. And sadly, I mean, there's a hundred ways of reporting on that. We don't have exclusive use of the knowledge of what happened yesterday. The fact that Minister Riley is in trouble with the rest of the government is not the exclusive knowledge of the reporter who actually uh, spoke to somebody in Leinster House about it yesterday. It is now in the public domain and it's off and it's out there and it's travelling. Difference, however, is that for a freelance photographer, a freelance photographer in a riot situation where we we'll say the, the police are behaving not as well as they should be and uh, they uh, they, they, they are behaving, we'll say, with a degree of brutality in relation to, the, uh, to, to peaceful protesters. And a photographer manages to get that shot from a particular angle of the baton when it comes in collision with the skull of the protester. That may, it may not be great for the protester, but that picture is pay dirt for the photographer because nobody else has that. They can sell that multiple times to multiple places and make lots of money out of that picture. Anybody who wants to use that picture must pay them for it. That's the law. Now, as I said, it's not great news for the protester, but you have to accept that the photographer is probably, uh, uh, has earned that, not just probably, but has earned the money that they get from that because they have most likely put themselves in a position of Quite, uh, quite severe personal danger to get it in the first place because they have to be in there amidst the flailing batons to get it. That very much contrasts sharply with the rest of pe people like me who are writers. I mean, the, the half-life of the value of my material is probably shorter than the teenage texter's attention span. Get back to the practicalities. How actually can the photographer make best use of that photograph to get. And it doesn't have to be the spectacular act of violence. 
Kieran Fagan uh, will remember that one of the most celebrated pictures back in the the nineteen uh, the nineteen seventies or early 80s was of a, a government minister sitting up in his hospital bed, and uh, and and because it accompanied a story saying that he wouldn't be able to travel to the Doyle for a, a crucial vote and so on and so forth. But having that picture on that day was huge. Uh, interestingly, so important was that picture that in, in these pre-internet days, pictures used to be sent up by train. And it was coming on the train from Kilkenny. And um, one, one newspaper that had initially refused to buy it knew it was on its way to the other one. So they sent a guy down who just took it. A very valuable picture indeed. The guy did get paid twice and the whole lot, but uh, was so ungracious about it, the, picture that used, the newspaper that used the picture never used him again. Uh, so we have to start with the do's and don'ts. So you have that great picture. You have that, the photographer has that great picture. The don't is, the first don't is, don't send out re re reproduction quality images indiscriminately to newspapers all over the place and do this, use it now and, pay, and we'll organize the pay later philosophy. Because first of all, getting money out of them will be like getting blood out of a turnip. They won't pay later. They'll have used your photograph and they'll say thanks very much and they'll offer you something derisory. What you do is you send them thumbnail quality stuff with a large big watermark over it that they can't possibly uh, use. And you say, if you want to use this, give me a call back and we'll sort out a rate and then I'll send you the reproduction quality image. Don't let anybody ever negotiate an exclusive deal with you. And that includes as a writer, because exclusive deals normally mean that they have actually bought all rights. And a lot of cases when you receive, see these things that they'll send you an email that they'll send you for an exclusive deal, it'll include this little paragraph at the end, including media yet to be invented. <laughs> so not only are they going to sell your work on to newspapers and internet sites and everything all over the world, but if somebody comes up with a new media next year, they, they've got it for that too. So never, ever sign one of those deals, unless, of course, they're going to buy you a house or something for it or give you next week's lotto winning numbers. The other don't, the other big no-no is never, ever send it to just one paper and hope that others will see it and then come to you and say, oh, we'd like that photograph. Because once a day has passed, it's only worth half its value. If you think it's worth a lot, what you do is you get onto the papers that you deal with normally. You say, I've got this. They say, great. And then you start going through the other papers and don't just snow themselves. So if it's a really valuable photograph, actually ring the photo editors or email them. Ring the picture desks and say, I've got this. What will you give me for it? And uh, you'll be surprised how, how much you can get. After that, it's a question of uh, actually keeping track of your photographs. One of the handy things to do there for keeping track of your own photographs and where they'll be used is have an arrangement with a picture agency. There's lots of them around the place where not only do you send your photograph to newspapers that you normally deal with, you supply your photographs to these people who in turn will supply them onto, you know, the Rangoon Morning Observer and various exotic titles that you've never heard of. But what they also do is all their members of the photo agency, they keep an eye out. They actually keep an electronic eye on where those photographs may have been used with or without permission. And they'll chase the money for you as well. So you don't actually have to become the, the, the one person blue moon detective agency trying, uh, trying to sort out uh, the breaches of your copyright all the time. You can have somebody else doing it for you and you're not paying them anything except a, a commission on the usage. Finally, never ever send a repro quality image to 
uh, a newspaper editor or a, or a, a picture desk editor without having an, a relationship with them first, as in a relationship of trust, where you have worked for them before and you've got paid and you've got paid decently. Because you're just, a, you're just asking for a kicking if you, if you send them stuff. I'm going to say later that we should sort of like have a default position of trust, but that's only, that's only pretense. Uh, <laughs> we, we suspend our natural cynicism and professional cynicism as journalists momentarily when we're dealing with people. Uh, purely to establish good relationships with them because they've got money and we don't. But otherwise, generally speaking, they have money for a reason and we don't have money for a reason and it's usually because they're, they're greedy and we're not, we're good people. And then we, we sort of look on about what to do about copyright breaches. You have established this, and this applies to writers as much as it applies to photographers. So you've had a story in today's paper and it went out in the city edition and the next minute you see it that it's in, or sorry, it went out in the country edition and you see it's in a city edition. I don't even know they still have them uh, because it's all got so truncated now. But you find that it's been lifted. And your story, pretty much, word for word, is in, an, uh, is in another newspaper. And it's probably got some invented house byline on it. Sometimes they're even cheeky enough to use your byline. And, you go, and then you've got to go after them and you've got to get money. But it's a question of, actually how you go after them. Uh, I had a long and happy uh, career at one point as a feature writer for the Irish Independent, which began with them lifting a piece of mine, uh, that, uh, which was a cover story for a, a, a since uh, departed business magazine called Irish Business. And they lifted it wholesale and they gave me a 24 point headline. They even flagged it up on the front page and it was marvellous in the whole article they didn't have permission to use it they had never spoken to me about it the editor was going mad the piece interestingly enough was on white collar crime <laughs> uh, so I had a few options open to me I could have spat fire in brimstone and I said do you know who I am I'm the chair of the Dublin Public Relations and Public Publications branch of the NUJ and how dare you do this didn't do that at all. I rang the guy and I said, Jesus, thanks for a great byline there in the whole office. It's a pity you didn't ring me first. How much are you paying me for that? <coughs> and we established a very good working relationship. He paid me lots of money for that piece by way of sort of apology and the whole lot. And uh, I made loads of money out of that relationship over the years because <coughs> that's how you do it. Uh, but when you can't do that, what do you do? Well, say it's a photograph and it's fa you found it in several newspapers or whatever. All you can do is send them bills. And you just send them a bill. But how do you chase that bill up afterwards? Because unfortunately in copyright, as yet, there is no such thing as a small claims court. Half the time, I mean, like we say, there's a, a photograph that you would have got paid 100 quid reproduction fee for a first use for one newspaper. Well, charge them that for the other newspaper that's, that's used it illegally, because that's the great rule of thumb, is what's reasonable is what you would have been paid by one newspaper for it, so they should, another one should pay you that. But you can't go to court for 100 euro. Well, there, there's two pieces of good news. <coughs> the first piece of good news, which I wouldn't be sort of holding my breath to wait for it to materialize, is that under the, the, the Irish government is currently considering the introduction of a small claims court for copyright breaches so that you could actually go along for small quote-unquote trifling sums like this 
and get paid without uh, incurring massive legal costs, if any, and it would be settled quickly. But as I say, I wouldn't hold my breath. Uh, the other uh, much more substantial and significant piece of good news is that the NUJ will look after you. The NUJ has a debt recovery service. We have, and we set this up specifically, and we set up this arrangement specifically for freelancers, not just in the copyright area, but in other areas where, free, where freelancers are owed a few hundred quid by, we'll say, a magazine publisher who just, who just says, get lost, I'm not paying you, what are you going to do about it? You can't, no, uh, nobody can afford to go to court for a sum like this. Well, what we've done is, there are debt recovery agencies who are, you say, slightly more reputable than the Viper, but they still do a similar job. And uh, we normally what they do is they require quite a significant membership fee from each person who will sign up with them. And then they will take a, a cut of what they recover for you. The NUJ has negotiated a group scheme whereby the NUJ is the member and we can refer claims from individual freelancers, whether they're copyright or anything else, to that debt collector agency and we'll put them through it. So at the end, of, so you can't get paid the normal way, we can go there and they will go through the processes and try to recover the money. And usually the thought of being in Stubbs Gazette or one of these other publications which the debt collecting agencies ultimately put people in is enough to, to actually uh, get, get people to reconsider their position. The that's the practical advice. That's sort of most of what I can tell you about, free, uh, about copyright because I could go into the ins and outs and the nuances of copyright law, but it doesn't actually matter. What you create is yours. You own it. Anybody who uses it and doesn't pay you is stealing. So it's a question of getting the money that you're owed for that. How much you're owed is a question of what you charge anybody else. If you charge 250 euros for a thousand word feature and somebody else lists that feature in whole, then you charge them to that rate for that. If somebody in a group of magazines chooses to reuse it in a different publication that you haven't already, uh, that you hadn't agreed with, my rule of thumb there is I charge them 50%. Hasn't cost me an extra, they've already commissioned the piece and whatever. So, but the key is always be reasonable because generally speaking, and this is one of the mistakes I've seen freelancers make over the years when they've been owed money, is that they've chosen to go down a route, which means that they're cutting off their nose to spite their faces. Like it or not, we are small business people, very small, and these people are our customers. And you've got to treat customers like customers. Businesses that treat their customers as if they're the enemy don't stay in business very long. So unfortunately, we've got to get along with these people. These are the people that we're hoping to work for next week, next month, and so on. So we've, we've got to keep a civil relationship with them in some way. Now, there may be people that are just so awful, you don't want to work with them again. And yes, absolutely, give them a kicking. But anybody who you do want to work with again, keep that in mind when dealing with a copyright breach or indeed any other breach of faith when it comes to getting paid. Uh, I'd be happy to take any questions. Yes, thanks. Jean. Uh, I have two quick questions for you, Baron, please, and one relates to the other, which is what 
Um, it's about invoicing, and you know, uh, you, you assume, say, that you're going to get paid in 31 days, and you don't, so you resend the invoice and you resend the invoice. How long do you resend the invoice before you finally decide I'm going to get onto the NUJ and see if they can do something for me? And the second one is, and in fact, Joe a few years ago spoke to the other freelance branch about they pay they payment fees, and should you say for your second or your third invoice, add that on, or is that going to kind of mess up your relationship with this particular um, uh, person you're writing editor or whoever? Or should we add on? I know it's not an awful lot, but you know, as a deterrent, it's nothing else. Yeah. Um, okay. If you haven't got paid within the thirty-one days or whatever it is that you're expecting to get paid. Um, uh, simply sending another statement or invoice is unlikely to make it any quicker. I mean, you're much better to pick up the telephone and just say, and be nice and friendly and say, hi, yeah, is there any reason I haven't got paid yet or whatever, or when can I expect to get paid? And then if they don't pay you within when they're told you, then you can start to do other stuff because then they're actually uh, messing you about. Uh, adding a late payment fee, uh, I mean, the, the t fractional rates of interest that are involved there in terms of what freelance fees would be. Um, if you never want to work for that person again, absolutely add them. <laughs> um, uh, the, uh, I, uh, I, I, it, and in a lot of cases, people that just don't pay aren't worth working for again, so you might as well add them. But at the same time, uh, as I say, the interest rates are so fractional. Uh, I mean, if they'd wanted to do something meaningful, they could have gone to MasterCard or Visa and got interest rate advice, you know. But um, they, they, the ones that are charged with the late payments, I don't think any of us would get, would get rich on them. So it's, in a lot of cases, it's not even worth spending your time over the calculator. Um, what's the situation now with the internet, you know, online publishing? Is it all considered one now, or should there be extra things? Because most magazines seem to consider it one. Um, everybody considers it one. I mean, like, if it's one and the same publication, it just means that there's the online edition and the offline edition. However, if something has two existences, uh, we'll say like the Guardian has a specific Guardian European edition and a Guardian European <coughs> edition website and things like that, and they create for a different audience a very different type of publication online then people would be justified certainly and say ah we never agreed on that one however i th i mean most most freelancers here i'd say whenever they contribute something don't have a contract or anything like that uh agreeing what what happens in terms of rights and so on of the copyrights uh so it's sort of a, a gentle person's agreement there uh, but most of the big uh, newspaper groups and so on when they enter into agreements uh, they they will send you an email uh, and you found that not only have you sold your rights onto all these new media yet to be invented, but you've probably sold your children's rights as well. <laughs> or your children. <laughs> well, for some of us. <laughs> Any more questions? No? That's grand. Thank you very much indeed. I think you can have a smoke break or ahead of time. <laughs> so I think coffee break, smoke break, walk in the rain break. <laughs>